0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation, brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Alpha Burley Pro, it is a 100% top to bottom waterproof boot they're perfect for the style of hunting that is done this time of year whether you're a waterfowl hunter or walking through some swamps to get to your favorite tree stand check out the alpha burly pro they come in a variety of camo options and insulation options go visit lacrossefootwear.com lacrosse boots done right since 1897 <laughs>
1: Welcome to Land of Lakes Podcast. It's your host Adam
2: and Matt Dye.
1: I didn't even include my last name, but you said uh, I'm
2: on a first name basis.
1: We're, <laughs> we I don't even know. We're over hundred by now. Um, total podcast for sure. Total oh yeah, we're, we're probably 115 ish Right? I think we're at thirty on hunting and eighty-six, 86 or seven on yep. the other one. So
2: we're on the rocking. And yeah, rolling. we've been
1: doing this a while. So we're on a first name basis now, guys. Um, and this is the hunting podcast that's following up part two of our Habitat Heroes podcast where we talked about bottlenecks and all the things you can do in habitat speaking to improve yes. bottlenecks to not only increase the amount of species or the amount of healthy habitat on the landscape for your native animals, but also punching more tags. This one obviously devoted to the hunting side of that. So yep, yep. what are bottlenecks, how we can hunt them, how we can um, use this information we gained on the habitat one to improve them, and ultimately how we can have more fun enjoying the outdoors.
2: That's right. And a couple of weeks ago we talked about and identified bottlenecks. Um, and this week, like Adam said, is this is how to hunt them. And, and as we're getting into, this podcast will, I guess, release the 30th of October. I mean, it is game on Time to Hunt Bottlenecks, and that's why we're doing it this week um, to get out that information that everyone can use to apply um, the next day or the weekend. Whatever time you have to be able to hunt, you can use this um, right now. You apply said it, it your hunting right strategy.
1: there whenever you said time to get out there and hunt bottlenecks. A lot of guys, it's a great time to just get out there and hunt. But oh, yeah. then it comes time to what's our best chance at punching and tags. And we look at what deer are doing this time of the year where we have these um, deer cruising, deer chasing, deer moving a lot. And what's our best chance at seeing deer? Where's the best chance that we're going to get to shoot one of our hit list bucks? And I think a lot of times people love to hunt food plots. But when it comes to this time of the year, I want to find a bedding area, or I want to find a bottleneck, or I want to find both, oh, and yeah. say, ha, that's my best chance.
2: There's, um, I, I don't know if, it, if it's typically, I don't know if it's right to say this or not, but everyone wants to do like those iconic things, I feel like, in hunting, like, check it off. You know, I want to kill a non-typical buck, I want to kill a mature buck, um... In a food plot, like that's that's one of them. It's one of those things that's like it kind of like makes you more of a man. I don't I don't know, but I just feel like it's so overdone that it has misconstrued our information of how to appropriately hunt during this time of the year. Um, not saying that it can't be done, but we're just talking odds and what is in your favor as a deer hunter. And is right now without question hunting bottlenecks that are in close proximity or in relation that complement bedding areas. Sometimes that bottleneck can be a food plot like we talked about in the hunting one, but it is seriously understanding basically high traffic areas for deer. That's where you're going to kill more successfully, uh, more times than not, these big mature bucks that you're That's
1: hunting. right. I mean, sure, if we, we're going to exclude... Television shows, for our success, I'm really going to drag this out. For our success, <laughs> when we take a poll and say, are, are there more, and I'm not even going to say mature, more shooter bucks. So that we'll just say three and a half and older. Are there more mature bucks shot in bottlenecks, timber, outside of food plots, or inside food plots? If we watch television shows, we might say food plots. If we talk to everyday hunters, they're probably going to tell us outside of food plots. Um, And there's Uh, a reason for that. Food plots are created. They're not all equal. And they get a lot of hunting pressure. They get a lot of bad practices around them. They may be in bad locations. They may have trail cameras that we check every other day or every week. They may just, for some reason... They 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 create a, a an atmosphere that a mature buck may not want to be.
2: Yeah, I mean, daylight exposure, during daylight, daylight especially like they're way out in the open. There's there's kind of number one. They're yeah. not generally cover right there, immediate adjacent to a food plot. So therefore, less activity by these adult deer.
1: Every time they step into it, they smell us, they or they hear us, or they sense our presence. There's another reason, and so. All that coming down to it, we'll make a bold statement and say we probably would guess that more deer get shot by playing the woodsmanship card and hunting bottlenecks, hunting bedding areas, hunting areas that are just letting deer do their natural travel patterns, and we're taking advantage of it. And
2: I think it's, it goes back, and, and even a step beyond just that that woodsmanship, and it goes into understanding the whitetail biology and what they're doing at this time of the year. What's on their mind? What are they seeking? And we know what they're trying to seek, but to me it is are they receptive to it? So what we're talking about is does. They're trying to find receptive does, but yet does right now and for the next few weeks in our specific area aren't typically breeding. It's not the peak breeding. Peak breeding for us is like 11th, 12th, Fourteenth, sixteenth, somewhere through there.
1: Not the thirteenth.
2: <laughs> every day, but Let the, the thirteenth. They do they not take a break. They, they do not want break. to
1: conceive a fawn on the thirteenth. Bad luck for her. Bad luck. She's the
2: one that gets to eat my coyote. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. peak
1: rut for us, peak breeding is the November eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, right in there.
2: Now, yes, there are some deer that are getting bred right now. We know that, and it
1: could be November fifth through the eighth for you, right. but here for us, Southern Missouri. That's, that's, that's where window. we're at.
2: So right now, bucks are trying to find those does. They are pushing does, nudging does, chasing, chasing does, and moving them all around. So that means that deer, both bucks and does, are on their feet. And on their feet during daylight hours, a buck may come bump a treetop, may bump a bedding area, get, get these does on their feet. So as these deer are on their feet more and more and more through this window, where are they gonna be at? They're gonna be out in, in these areas that are bottlenecked. And so the obviously that makes a great place to deer hunt, but because of the pressure and the presence of all these young bucks and and what we've seen I guess in the prior weeks, um young bucks doing a lot of the chasing and nudging, these does are, are getting to be tired of this and they are not going into the open where they're just exposed to see, be seen from... Especially not during daylight. Yeah, especially not during those time frames. So they're not going to these food plots, these big ag fields as much um, because they're very vulnerable, exposed there, not because necessarily just hunting pressure, but because of the, the tireless just nagging of bucks trying to find their receptive dose and chase them. So they're in... More areas of of cover. Um so that was why we tend to hunt and suggest everyone else to hunt in areas that are timbered and have bottlenecks.
1: That's right. I it's, mean it's you really simple. and we'll say that again on the next podcast about does becoming tired of being pestered. They go into a food plot and they're not ready, they're not receptive and every little spike, forked horn, three-and-a-half-year-old buck comes out, nudges them, comes over, kind of chases them around. They're tired of it. So they're starting to seek out the thickest cover. Um, And because of that, they are um, hanging out in those bedding areas. But then if you have bottlenecks between those bedding areas, you're getting this natural travel of bucks going from one bedding area to the next, through the bottlenecks, Right in front of your tree stand, right.
2: And this is where we have to, I guess, be be that woodsmanship, be me, be that woodsman, and have possess woodsmanship skills, because we need to be able to identify bedding areas. We need to be able to find them on the landscape on a property, and then we need to be able to find the bottlenecks to be successful on a routine basis during this time of the year. Um, so, from previous podcasts, we, we've we identified where to look at, where to find these bottlenecks. We identified within this week's Habitat podcast, the Habitat features um, that you can use to complement these bottlenecks. Now we're talking about how to hunt them. Um, for us, in, in one of our situations that we're in right now, and we kind of briefly talked about it, podcast what we're going to refer to as the north saddle on the prairie hollow property is the approach to be able to access it we're going to do the least amount of damage as well as the proper wind to be able to hunt it where we're going to do the least amount of damage because it's a saddle so typically in certain terrain changes like that the wind can swirl so there's obviously a lot of changes going on with the property there's loggers in there Um, There's more food than ever um, in a certain area that I think is making these bucks that we're seeing on trail camera move more through this area. Um, There's certain areas of the farm that aren't being touched beyond this saddle. So we're creating a sanctuary effect. Sanctuary effect on, on one side, a west side, whereas food on an east side. And then there's logging on a southwest side of this saddle. So it's kind of forced deer through this saddle, but we're all using that and and being a woodsman to say, that's where we're going to kill one, maybe more mature bucks that are using these areas. Um, So if that one, your brother, we we talked about it just briefly on the last podcast, he's hunted in the past. He hasn't had much luck. What was his approach then? How did he set up? Where did he hunt, and how can we use that information to better approach it this year?
1: Oh, well, guess what? Back in the day, we used to approach it with a couple of different scenarios. Uh, we used to come in from the north along, we would cross a creek, ride right along the north boundary. We would walk up what we call Sawmill Holler, and then you would veer off to the left or veer off to the east and hunt it. And so anything with a south wind. And we would so hunt it. You would hunt the. the we would western try line? to hunt the try to hunt the center of it, okay. but hunt it with a southeast wind where it blows back, kind of where we came from. Yeah. So any deer that came up from the east out of the bottoms along that east facing slope, they wouldn't they wouldn't ever smell us. Right. Um, saw one really nice young seven pointer um, in the times that we hunted it, but I, I hope people can understand like deer per square mile based on what i know now and what we saw back in those days i would say that deer per square mile for us was below 40 we just didn't have a lot of deer hardly any and, like, and i would say when honestly, you think 40 about that it's
2: it's typically a pro- In a forested, timbered setting, it's about average. About average. About average.
1: Um, What we would see, let's take that 20-acre bottom that's all now Mm -hmm. in Cattleman's Treasure from Stratton, is, you know, certain nights, last year we saw 17 deer in it. Uh Uh-huh. There was times where I wouldn't see 17 deer all season. Yeah. Yeah. And, but now I wasn't the best hunter in the world, but also... It just Are we didn't now? have. I I feel like I'm pretty good now. <laughs> At least I understand the game, right? Right. Um. And and that's probably the worst part about it is I understand what needs Over-thing to be in place, or- and so I know where the habitat should be to have better numbers. Um. That's why logging is happening because I know that's the biggest step to really improve that. Um. Because even if even if we pass every deer in the world, we don't have the habitat in place to withhold and, and, and feed all these deer that we want to have one day. Um, but we just didn't have many deer. So even great bottlenecks like the North Saddle, we just didn't see many pass through. One deer every five sits was probably pretty good for the few deer we had. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're starting to get more deer. And we have more deer. We've passed up a lot of young bucks. We just we don't have... Um, frankly, we don't have the spotlighting and the poaching problems along gravel road that we used to have. Um, and we have a lot more food available. So when deer do come to the farm or, or their home range overlaps, the farms is once they get there, they kind of stay cause they had the best, the best chance at surviving there.
2: So, well, and, and not only like that is I, and we've seen it because of this year there's so many acorns, but now that they're not as prevalent or the deer seem to not be crushing them as hard, things are priorities are a little bit changing. We're starting to see a lot of bucks come in. It's like, yep. who's that? Who is we, that? We just
1: had that 10-pointer show up, uh, and we had the 10-pointer that we had a couple times during the summer that was uh, on the very south. I mean, he was crossing... Yeah. He was 50 yards from the property line when we got pictures of him, and now he's 400 10, 10, 10 yards north, interior. more towards the interior of the property. So we've had a couple bucks shift, and we're hoping that they stay around once they start finding the food. And even the logging's going to be great. There's a lot more cover for them. Oh, yeah. And so it'll be extremely beneficial. Um, getting back to that north saddle was another way that we used to hunt it, or Chad used to hunt it. Um, was we would come in from the southwest along the main road, and then we'd veer off and try to hunt it on something north. And uh, so we hunted with a couple different scenarios. Um, The biggest issue back in those days was we had bottlenecks. We could find bottlenecks like these saddles. But we didn't have a reason for deer to be going from point A to point B with the bottleneck being in between because there was it was just limited food on this on side, side, and crappy timber, and little little food on this side. There was yeah. little cover on this side and little cover on this side. There wasn't a there wasn't a reason for them to go from point A to point B through the bottle. There was
2: no like enticing. There was no attractiveness or difference in habitat. It was just well, if I am going to go over there, I'll use the saddle. But do I need to go over there now? It's like there's really good bedding. It's safe. It's secure over here. All the foods over there. That's where all the does are going to be in yep. ending up at. I'm walking there. Cause it's the easiest place. Now there's a reason now yes. it's lighting up.
1: Yes. And I mean, going back to maybe this podcast does getting pester. I don't know. Fellas, ladies that are listening to this podcast, we're doing four of them tonight. So we're going to say <laughs> a lot of like, was this, this podcast or the last podcast? Um, those getting pestered. And so like we're going to have great bedding on both sides but really great food on both sides as well. But yes. in going specifically to the north saddle, we're going to have probably 30 plus acres of food on the east side yes. with a couple food plots on the west side but really good bedding on the west side, mediocre on the east side.
2: Either way, this area, this is just the the precluding factor like we're just getting into the really good stuff yeah this year of what of activity that's going to be experienced out of that soon to be set tree stand for the years to come it's just like it's in the crosshairs i think of the property like it's, it's centrally located and it's in just the heart of all all the activity that's to become
1: yes yep and so this area, this north saddle, has had a lot of deer in the past. I know you've you. We tried to hang a camera in it last year, but we hang a camera on the south saddle, which is a little more narrow. I don't know the the actual difference between the two when you're looking at yardage, but um, the north saddle has probably got. I don't know. I'm trying to pull up a map and measure it out, but the north saddle is almost twice as wide twice. as the south side. Yeah. And the south saddle is so you can go through it during certain times of the year and clearly see trails and sign. But the north side doesn't have that.
2: No, it's not like this is exactly where they cross every single day. They could cross 5 yards to the right, 10 yards to the left, 15 one day, 30 the next. It doesn't really matter. So the sign hasn't been 100% there, but to – document deer a little bit better, what we did was recently, there was two kind of overhanging dogwoods, and they were out of scrape reach. So simply just reached up, bent them back, first couple cracks of the limb, bent that limb down. Now we've got two active scrapes cleared out the leaves beneath them. Now, when a deer does walk through there, They're going to come and check those scrapes out of convenience. And that's because, again, that they're checking scrapes this time of year. It's a point of weakness. Now every deer that will walk through there is going to be documented at those scrapes. So, And and we didn't just use one. We put two and cleared out large areas beneath them um, to make sure that, okay, even though we haven't created that living fence in that area yet that we talked about in the Habitat podcast, We simply created great, large, community-like scrapes in the center of this to slow deer down, make sure they check it, and be able to document them as they do it. So we have all the intel that we can get from deer moving from one side to the other day-to-day. We know what's happening in that area and know then which side do we really need to approach it from? Do we need to come from the north? Do we need to come from the south? And what probably is the best wind. That probably is gonna be determined by terrain. And what, what happens when we get in there? Yep. Um it, it's That's it's, honestly
1: yeah. where the milkweed seeds could come into play to really kinda of watch what's going on because there's beyond, a chance
2: beyond our immediate location. Yeah. Is it ten gonna ten yards away. Is it happens? gonna
1: go ten yards and then drift back or what's gonna happen?
2: What happens on a light wind? What happens on a stiff wind? Where does it go?
1: Yeah. And to me uh The north saddle is going to be awesome. To me, I I really like the idea of coming in from the southwest and hunting it on that north wind or northeast wind. Right now, with where we're at on the habitat, is there's really not distinct bedding on that side of the farm. What we have is a lot of acres that we don't go into that's got a lot of points and little draws. Little
2: tiny draws tucked back in.
1: Where and they could bed anywhere in there. I'm sure. And I, that's, I, it's I that's not defined. This is where they're headed. That's where they're headed. And they're going to use this bottleneck get through there. That's where the benefit of this podcast and and the future of Land and Legacy is you're going to get to see us. Maybe if you can bank back all that time and say, okay, um, I remember when that bottleneck was kind of uh, slow or them talking about it. Now it's really defined and, and we're... We're taking pictures and trying to monitor this over time to really showcase you guys how we manage this property and transformed it into a hunter's paradise.
2: Yeah, for sure. That, so f- that will for the be future
1: cool. listings, turnkey hunter's paradise for the people that's that caught right.
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool because this I, I really do believe that this is a kind of a pivotal point in a in a identifying long term bottleneck of the property as, as more deer come onto the property as more deer utilize the property they will be utilizing this bottleneck we have years to exactly figure out how to hunt how to approach and it may change from year to year but i think we've got a good plan of attack on this year how to hunt it but there's there's it's funny because there's another bottleneck just down to basically from the northeast of this um the saddle, the creek crossing, or just up from that creek crossing. That's, the, benefit, about,
1: that's the worst part about trying to hunt on a south wind is you got to drive through a pretty good cross right now on camera. And in the last five years or ten years, that area right there is just dynamite. incredible.
2: Dynamite. Um, and, and unfortunately – Well, what, kind what, of missed the, the, the two food plots that you had to drive close to, to – To get there. To even get to that creek crossing. that's, that's really good, and then get to the saddle. So – I do, definitely do believe the the south approach is the 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 wind. I mean the the direction to take to access that initial bottleneck we talked about. But just up from that creek crossing is a major major crossing, and I, we experienced it last year. We didn't hunt that exact location, but as we drive drove past the other day, it's like it just kind of clicked. It's like those, this is the exact same trail, has to be, that those deer, the, you ended up unfortunately missing one, but we had, what it was, it was a herd. How many deer was that? Sixteen. Sixteen deer, which is a bunch for us. It was a, seriously a train. Like, nose to tail, sixteen deer walked around the base of the mountain, between the base of the mountain and a creek, and dumped out into this large bottom field that we've been talking about. But because of that creek and that mountain, it's a narrow little, it's like a little pass, if you will.
1: And the creek is not just a creek. There's a huge erosion spot where it's like yes. a 30-foot or 20-foot drop. I'd say 25-foot, yeah. Where they're not, yeah. not going to cross it. And that's an area that my whole life, driving out, walking out, you jump deer right there. Yeah. And you try to hunt it, but it's like, it's way too swirly. The only real option to me, and that's why I think I've got it on long-term plans, is that little narrow valley making kind of a little runway of a food plot or at least a big shooting lane that then you stick a redneck blind at the very end of it, close up the windows, and that's where you're going to sit. Yeah. Because if you try to hunt it from a stand, which we may try, we're going to have to I mean, really tweak and play we, with we it. Have,
2: this is a conversation we haven't even had, but... Along either side of the road, but just a just dead straight west wind.
1: Dead straight west wind, or a really cold day where it sucks it, sucks it down, the, down creek. the creek. Yep. Um, it's going to have to be, you know, we've got a few more days of monitoring these Cutty Link cameras, and we're going to say, okay.
2: We're, we're building, we're, seriously, we are in the process of building Intel. To make the right approach,
1: I keep waiting for that next Cuddy Link email to come yeah. through while we're podcasting, so I can see. But that's just a one example of all the bottlenecks that are a couple of examples of the bottlenecks that we have. One of the key components of hunting successfully on bottlenecks, though, is threading that needle, playing the game to where the deer still feels safe going through the bottleneck. The wind is correct to where they feel like everything's in place for, if there is a predator there, they're going to smell them.
2: Yep, yeah. and, and think about it, too, because why at this time of the year, what's their sole purpose? Find the next receptive doe. So when they are going throughout the landscape, the habitat, crossing your property, they're going to be working with the wind in a way that as they're moving forward, the wind's hitting them in their face so they can be detecting what's out in front of them, or off to the side if they're skirting around a uh, bedding area. They won't be on the downwind side of that bedding area. So you've got to be able to think about that as you're hunting and s- making sets for the pre-rut, um, early November. Consider the way a deer is going to be traveling because of the, just the natural behavior of this time of the year, What deer, what deer are doing. And a lot of our setups, we're going to talk about bedding areas next, but a lot of our setups are based on hunting downwind sides of bedding areas as we approach the rut. So now we want to, before we get there, talk about the fact that bucks are on their feet, moving, and in association, direct correlation with the wind. Um, we've shared this pod, I mean, this research before but Penn State was had had bucks collared GPS bucks collared and in the month of October I believe it was the first 25 days of October they monitored bucks the average was 25 24 miles excuse me that, that buck traveled throughout those days and it wasn't just you know direct line it was just a general um amount of of mileage that they traveled. So, about a mile a day. Then, from the 25th of October on for the next 25 days, they looked at the the same bucks in the same regions, compared the two different um, amounts of uh, travel that those deer did, and the second amount of uh, travel, the second 25-day period, they traveled 96 miles on average. So, they pretty much quadrupled the amount of travel that they're doing in this window that we're approaching so if bucks are on their feet if they're nudging does they're going to be nudging them through the areas of high concentration, high deer traffic these bottlenecks so we we kind of joked about it at the beginning of the podcast but we could make this podcast super super simple and really short and just say what what's the key takeaway from hunting bottlenecks in, in the first part of November late October sit there just wait. Yeah. If you're in a good one and there's great habitat and resources on either side, you will be successful.
1: Or, or you'll at least see something. Now yeah. we can't say that you're going to make the uh, shot. Yeah, that's right. But you have a better chance at seeing a deer. That's it's just like right. if you if I am driving to work or we're driving in the real estate office and we do that one day a week. Um, Every week
2: I was gonna say people think we only work one day a week yeah <laughs> let's just
1: say we did that one day a week and uh, for several months out of the year, you may see the occasional guy or whatever and he may recognize you but if you start, turn that into five days a week, you're going down that you're traveling or let's say four more times a week and you're you're spending more time on the road, that you're going to see that guy more often more. it's just the same thing with bottlenecks during the rut. The deer, uh, bucks are spending more time cruising and traveling. Got a little bit bigger ranges. Possibly they're just on their feet more, so there's a better chance that they're going to go through those areas that they travel through occasionally. Most of the uh, the rest of the time of the year.
2: That's right. So it it just goes to show that research how much deer are traveling. It gives you evidence that it's twenty four or twenty twenty five. No, I guess twenty four miles compared to ninety six. That is a considerable amount of miles. I hope
1: you remembered those correctly.
2: I hope I did too. Because for me, positive. it
1: was this is how I remembered. Yeah, they moved a little. They moved a lot. That's the <laughs> difference.
2: <laughs> See, I remember numbers like I can remember people's telephone numbers from like elementary school. I it's remember weird. a few of them. Eight zero four
1: five. That was my best friend's house Yeah, right. That was up. the
2: old girl you had a crush on. <laughs> but you actually never ended up calling. <laughs> I could never talk to girls.
1: It's a wonder I ever got married. <laughs> um, Hello, my name is Adam. No, no, it was more like 8045. Um, and I won't share the first part of the but 8045. Hey, there's a bunch of blackbirds over here. Get over here. <laughs> Bring uh, your BB gun. Yeah, the starlings are migrating in. Bring yeah. your BB gun. So, yeah.
2: Basically, uh, go out, camp on a good bottleneck. For the next couple of weeks, if you have the time, hunt it out. Good luck.
1: Absolutely. That, that's, that's the advice. <laughs> it really it's so simple, but that's really the importance of hunting bottlenecks this time of the year. Put your time and I, in. And I and I hate to see it whenever somebody's like, I'm just not seeing like their Instagram story, I'm not seeing a lot of deer and, and every, every they're talking about deer starting to chase and they're spending every time they're out, they're hunting on a food plot. And right, I'm like right. Face Palm. Yeah. Well, where do you that think gummet? they're at? Yeah.
2: Darn it. So what you doing that for
1: Matt, this time of year, yeah. would you rather hunt a bottleneck that has food plots on both sides or one that's got cover on both sides?
2: Oh, I'm going cover on both sides. But food plot on both sides, it's still good.
1: Still could be good.
2: Still could be I mean we I don't want to think we're not saying bucks don't go to food plots. They they certainly will. They will check. But chances are they're going to be spending more time in areas of thick cover. So I'm going with bedding areas. Would you do the same?
1: Uh, same thing, yeah. Like I said on the last podcast, during the rut, I'd much rather be close to cover bedding than a food plot.
2: Ooh, here's a good one. Just just to throw it out there, would you rather hunt a plum thicket in western Oklahoma or would you rather hunt a um, three-acre clear cut in South Georgia,
1: <laughs> Oklahoma? You nerd. Just because most likely, I mean, there's a lot of hunters in Georgia, West Oklahoma. There's some giants. Not to say there's not giants in Georgia, but uh, I like that prairie setting than a yep. better than a Wide clear open cut basis. Yeah, so. Anyway, either hope, one, though, I hope this everybody time of year would be fantastic. I, yeah, absolutely. Anything's better than the office. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I hope everybody, and I won't say it, um, I almost said something that stuck my foot in my mouth, but anything's better than putting together a pack and play in the office um, when the bucks are chasing, But because that, that's what I did this evening, even though it wasn't a great night to go. So, anyway, hopefully everybody enjoyed this podcast and. Leave us a review. Check out yeah. iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page. Um.
2: Next week we are talking specifically on the Habitat Podcast about creating bedding areas because on the hunting podcast we're talking about hunting bedding areas and that's what you should be doing mid-November. So get ready. Prepare for that one. Learn. Hopefully if you tag out on hunting bottlenecks, let us know. Send it to info at Land and Legacy. TV. We want to see it. Post it on social media. Tag us on Facebook, Instagram. Let us know how your season's going, guys. We'd love to hear from you. See See ya.